Good evening. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room for February the 22nd, 2017, which may be known as, you know, the night that the tech challenges came to Missoula, Montana. So, Jason, I'm thrilled that, that you're here tonight, and apparently the gremlins are active at your house. Absolutely so. And what's funny about that is that the only reason why I was able to work around them is because, you know, I have laptops and desktops all over the place so I can just move to. So um, I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, uh, I had a, a microphone problem, and then I remembered that the, my daily use laptop doesn't like to uh, record anything at all. So I guess I'm, I'm just happy uh, to be online tonight. It's good to have to have tools and uh, have choices with our tools. Well, my name is Wes Fryer. I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City, where it was in the high 70s today, and I think is going to hit 83 degrees Fahrenheit tomorrow. So some people are saying maybe we'll get some some cooler weather on the weekend, but uh, pretty pretty wild. And I'm joined as always by Jason and. Jason, is the virtual school environment in in Montana still alive and thriving? It is. Um, I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, the fabulous state virtual school uh, housed on the University of Montana campus in Missoula, Montana. And although we are doing our every other year fight for funding with the Montana legislature, um, our program itself serves more and more kids each semester. Um, and I'm happy to be part of an environment that allows so many rural kids access to high quality courses and teachers from across the state of Montana. Absolutely. So you guys do just like Wyoming have a session, a legislative session every other year. That's correct. We meet for 90 days every two years. We, we need that in Oklahoma. So, cause every year it's, it's a fight, you know, against the charter school advocates and, and whatever. So, well, we have two viewers. I'm going to guess it may be, maybe Peggy and Marta. I'll get in the chat room here in just a minute. But for those of you that may possibly be new, we do have all of our links on edtechsr.com slash links. And tonight was, or today was definitely my worst night of putting in links. I had set up an if this, then that, which when I tweet with the hashtag EdTechSR, throws the link into a Google Doc. So I was able to rapidly copy three links, throw them into the bottom of the doc, uh, even scan a little recode article that Jason had put in and do a geek of the week. So this is impromptu podcasting. Perhaps not, I won't say at its finest, but certainly uh, an example of of how we, we slap this together. So what we do is talk about the news of the past week, or sometimes we get a, a later article and put an ed tech spin on it. And we welcome your comments and feedback in the chat room. Uh, if you're watching this live and you can find that chat room, hopefully on the right side of the window as you view this in YouTube. So Jason, where do you want to start tonight? Well, I think the big headline from this week from an ed tech standpoint is a little lower on our list, but I think it's an important one. Um, last week was a big week in cell phone, um, a cell phone carrier plan uh, evolution. And in a week, we went from one carrier that had a mostly unlimited plan to four major carriers and are offering some form or another of unlimited data plans. And where it looked like that the unlimited data, the unlimited data plan was dead, uh, with only T-Mobile, which is kind of the rebellious of the four major wireless carriers in the United States, offering a version of it. Now all four major carriers are offering unlimited data plans on, on various cell phone uh, plans across the ecosystem. 
um, which uh, has, has forced the four of them to kind of jab one another in trying to decrease um, the cost and increase the value of those cell phone plans. And um, I, I should say that I have mentioned uh, my cell carrier a couple of times in the last uh, year offering this podcast. Um, I'm a recent convert from Verizon. I'm a longtime Verizon user. Uh, I first picked it up when I, I, I got my first iPhone uh, seven years ago when uh, Verizon was first offering um uh, the iPhone uh, when it it, it uh, moved over from AT and T, um, and since that time I've uh, been a fairly happy Verizon customer until about two years ago when I uh, the data or the the uh, subsidies went away, which for a, a, an every other year updater like myself meant that um, you know I was probably paying more than I was getting um, in return from Verizon, and more importantly, it meant that I wasn't getting a discount on my monthly plan. Like I, I always understood that the, um, the uh, subsidized phone uh, came in exchange for, you know, a, a more expensive plan every month. But it seemed to me that I wasn't getting a cheaper plan. I was just getting no phone subsidy anymore. And after going back and forth with Verizon, I finally got frustrated in January, moved to T-Mobile, which is new to Montana. It previously had not been in Montana. And I got to say, I've been an extremely happy T-Mobile customer um, for the last uh, 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 seven weeks. And I've now traveled with the phone. Um, it, even when I'm roaming the, the day as slow, but I, I, I have uh, rare spots where uh, I have no data access at all, and I'm very happy that I can use my phone as a hotspot now. I can stream data in an unlimited way. I don't have to, um, you know, um, worry about data, and so it's been a great plan for me, but I, I think there are some educational implications here. Before we jump into those, Wes, my understanding is you are a two-mobile customer as well. Yeah, so we've had an interesting journey with that. We were all AT&T. I was one of those, you know, customers that had the unlimited plan and sort of like, you'll take it from my dead cold hands and because I, I know someday you'll really have to make it unlimited. But the cost with three kids just, you know, became excessive. And so probably three years ago or so, we switched. And the T-Mobile coverage here in our Oklahoma City metro area is fantastic with LTE. I mean, it really is great. But when we go out into to rural areas and especially up to see my, my folks in Kansas, um, you know, not so great. On the interstates, we've, we've, we've done the Colorado trip a couple times now with our son out there. And um, I had an interesting switch back to AT&T because uh, my school went ahead and would buy me the phone, and but I had to be on their plan. But no one was on a tethering plan. And so... I, you know, negotiated to get on a, on a, on a tethering plan, but I, I only had five gigs of data and I was coming from T-Mobile where I had 10 a month. And at that time it was, I think it was totally shared. Now I was just seeing, I have 10 gigs of, of tethering and then I've got unlimited otherwise. So anyway, it, it actually caused some overcharges to our school and I was in the doghouse and, I didn't want to have to think about whether I was streaming music or, you know, tethering my phone or whatever. And, and so we worked it out where I'm, I'm basically um, just being compensated and, and back on our family plan. Very, very happy. And here's a funny story. Uh, last week we had our, 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 um, kind of semi-annual faculty uh, presentation. And so our headmaster talked and, and we had, you know, about five of us that did a, did a different presentation and literally you know, 15 or 20 minutes, maybe it was 30 minutes before 
um, our firewall went down and the internet was dead and everything was on a Google presentation. So, uh, we ended up getting it restarted and it was, it was actually a, a backup power supply, a UPS that went out, but we didn't get it up before the presentation. So I had my phone out, tethered the phone to the laptop and, uh, our headmaster who, you know, works on our phones and had gone through this negotiation with me turned and said, glad you're on that tethering plan, Wes, because <laughs> we downloaded the whole presentation from, from Google, uh, presentations, you know, as a PowerPoint and then just ran it offline. And I downloaded the video too. We had one video clip in there. So yay, T-Mobile, yay, tethering and yay, choices. Because yeah. for those unfortunate folks that don't have choices when it comes to cell phones, you know, you're probably over a barrel. <clears throat> That's how we felt when we were with AT&T. Well, and I think there's an interesting, um, well, and I, I should also say that the reason why this is an interesting topic to me is because I, uh, my entire family's on, on, on my, my, my wife's plan. So that's, that's my parents and, and my wife's parents. And, uh, you know, that ranges from my wife's parents are, are, I wouldn't call them super data users. They're not like, you know, Westfire, Jason Knifer data users, right? But they're, they're using their share of data every month. My parents use almost none at all. And what's great about, um, actually the, the, the Verizon kind of going in this direction too, but the T-Mobile plan is that once we hit four phones at $40 a month with unlimited data, every phone after that is $20. So we're going to basically be all in on unlimited data for $180 a month, which is where before uh, we were spending over $400 a month with uh, Verizon, and that's without that's not having any subsidized um um, devices. And, you know, I just, you know, I know that Verizon had started modifying that and it was going down to $20 a month and da, 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 da. But, uh, I do feel very empowered that I was able to, to jump over. And there's a more, uh, there's an tech focus here I want to talk about in just a moment, but there's a nerdier reason why I wanted to move off of Verizon. And that's because, um, for those of you unaware, um, and without going into, into incredible detail here, there's two major wireless standards in the United States. There's GSM and CDMA. And CDMA is what Verizon and Sprint uh, generally work on. Um, AT&T and T-Mobile are on GSM. Well, Verizon has a, um, there's some debate about whether this is, this is, is even legal based on the, um, uh, the, uh, bandwidth where Verizon lives and rents from the United States government, but Verizon phones have to be, um, uh, vetted by, by, uh, Verizon, right? Oh, hold on. We lost your audio. The cat has muted you. This, Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, an animal has muted one of the co-hosts of the EdTech Situation Room. And Jason was having some microphone difficulties earlier, so hopefully this this, this participation of the feline... Yeah, can't hear you. Participation of the feline will not be, be vetoed because of this. Yeah, the cat has canceled all audio emanating from, from Missoula. Try to unplug and plug in again, because that... That happened before <laughs> Jason dropped out. Well, while Jason is coming back, I will, I'll comment on an ed tech um, connection as a tech director. You know, we, we might all fall into the trap of assuming normal is what we have and being with T-Mobile and, and now having, being on a plan where everyone in our family has 10 gigs of data, which is very generous you know, is definitely not the norm for lots of folks. We were talking um, last year, I guess, about, you know, Snapchat and whether, whether to unblock it, it was unblocked. We have Facebook open and Twitter, um, but there was, you know, anyway, we ended up unblocking it with requests and we're wanting our students to, to you know, be using their 
her devices positively. And uh, so our, we have a social media manager and, you know, she wanted to have some some skins that would be there on on Snapchat, et cetera. Uh, and anyway, through that conversation, you know, just just highlighted how many of our students are still, you know, limited as far as data and reliant upon the uh, Wi-Fi that we provide at school. So um, anyway, it's it's important probably not to not to assume that the normal that you have in your situation is is the normal that everybody experiences. So I am confident that Jason is going to return. But as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, and you heard, we we were having a little bit of difficulty uh, kind of getting going. So um, hopefully he will be joining us again soon. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and take it to one of the articles that I that I had dropped in. Um, I th- maybe we'll talk about the, the new Apple announcement. So Mac Rumors uh, announced this last week that... Uh, we're expecting some March announcements. So we've got kind of a regular cycle of, of Apple announcements. And so this was from Mac Rumors on February 20th. Uh, Apple said to debut new iPad Pro lineup, 128 gig iPhone SE and red iPhone 7 and 7 Plus at March event. And so, um, you know, we, we, I have, I have not. I only know a couple people who have updated to an iPad Pro. Um, we actually had an event for parents tonight. We've, we've switched to an online enroll, re-enrollment and enrollment system at our school and we were providing a, a tech support night for parents who wanted to come in and get some assistance. And, and one of them had an iPad Pro. Uh, this past Sunday, I had uh, been a substitute teacher in, in our Sunday school class and there's one gentleman there that has an iPad Pro, but like that's about my only contact with iPad Pros other than, you know, seeing them in the store and, you know, kind of, uh, ogling over them. Um, you know, what I, we've kind of, we've had a lot of discussion here on the show about laptops and, and where we've kind of reached a point where it's like, do we really need, you know, more than eight, eight gigs of Ram or, or even four gigs of Ram? Um, and Ben is saying, you know, iPad pro, iPad pro, Ben, I'm going to actually tweet you. I'm going to send you the link to the hangout, uh, because, I don't know what's going on with Jason and I'm not going to want to keep talking all by myself all night. So I don't know if you want to join or not. Um, Hey, we may let Jamie or uh, invite Marta. Although I think Marta, I'm not sure if Marta dropped out, Um, but I'm going to try to keep talking and tweet Ben Wilkoff a link. Um, I guess I could put it into chat, but I'll see if I can tweet it. Um, So, Anyway, I just uh, the iPad Pro is, you know, it just seems like beyond what, you know, anybody educationally needs. And uh, we have been purchasing. I've been you know purchasing both for for friends and recommending to others. And we've gotten from school some. Oh, I think he may be back. Some uh, used iPads, some uh, some uh, iPad Air ones and some iPad Air twos and um those have been, you know, they've been fantastic. We haven't needed to to make the leap to a better iPad. So I don't know. I I know that Apple is going to continue to bring out the latest and the greatest, but I think I'm underwhelmed from an educational standpoint about the need to step beyond really the processing power of the iPad Air 2. Um, you know, it'll we'll just have to kind of see what happens, but it doesn't seem like we need a 10 inch and, and I'm not sure that we actually need to go uh, that much faster at this point, kind of similar to our laptop. So Ben, I have tweeted you the link and Jason is, 
I think soldering several wires together right now as we speak. And uh, and there's Ben Wilkoff. How are you, Ben? I'm great. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> well, we're having a little technical challenge, but you know, it's nothing like the beginning of the show when we had Blab, and you know, every night it was something different, and then the whole network just went offline without warning. So this is minor. It's always a good time. I'm I'm yeah. a fan. So you were saying yes, yes, iPad Pro, and and Jason, while you were out, I I went ahead and went to the Mac Rumors uh, February 20th article about the the rumored upgrades. Um, are you a MacBook or a iPad Pro user, Ben? Yeah, and I could never go back to anything besides the Pro with the pencil, ever, ever, ever. Um, I, I just my I I observe so many classrooms now. Um, and being able to write directly on top of all of the artifacts that I'm capturing throughout classrooms, like it just, it, it's it's unlike any other platform I have ever used. The combination of the Pro and the Pencil, like the Pro itself, to me is, you know, like right, it's just an iteration on the on the iPad. But the but the fact that the Pencil is that good, and you have that. Um, much ability to um, to really annotate your thinking. Um, and so I've been using this combination of ScanBot, which is mostly for scanning documents and things like that, but they have this rapid capture functionality where you can capture images really, really quickly, and it does auto-cropping and things like that of the most interesting things that are going on in the picture and sort of uh, resizes them. And then you can share it to Notability as a PDF. And so I capture, you know, 10 images in a classroom in the course of five I mean, I would say probably about five or 10 seconds, um, you know, like snap, 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 uh, like looking at all the different learning environments in a classroom, send them over to Notability and just start annotating, right? And then I can also, you know, have the audio going while I'm doing that. I'm like interviewing a kid saying, you know, what are you using this for? What is it, you know, um, what is this uh, platform that, that you're looking at? And Today we looked at, uh, you know, I was in a couple of different schools. One of the schools we were looking at their library um, and looking at different ways of using the space. And I just get to write and say, you know, like, move this here and like uh, think about, you know, uh, ways of using this space differently. Um, hmm. And so the the fact that that also then uh, – uh, syncs to Google Drive as a PDF. I can send those links to anyone instantly, um, and all of the annotations come along with, with or without the audio. Like it just, just works. And, you know, and we experienced this a couple of weeks ago where we were trying to get on with a Chromebook or trying to get on with, you know, uh, another platform and it just works. And I just, things that I, I keep on coming back to is like, all right, if I can choose the frustrating thing or the thing that just works for my classroom observations or for my collaboration, like it's the thing that works that I'm going to keep on getting excited about. Now, do I need a new iPad every two years? No, but the iPad Pro with the pencil, that was it for me. And once I had that, it was, uh, that was what I, what I've been waiting for, quite frankly. 
Well, maybe I'm going to have to take take another look because um, we this show, as those those of you that have been with us for for the last you know ten episodes at least, uh, has really influenced my thinking as far as Chromebooks and Chrome, and I've been on the edge of like, oh, do we need to move that direction for school? And you know, have have come back to, you know, we're gonna we're we're sticking with Macs. Uh, it looks like Mac MacBook Airs, um, but. Yeah, it's it's good to hear that. And it's also great for somebody who knows a bunch of different platforms. And so, Ben, we are going to have to think of the name for you because at Texas A&M, they have this thing called the 12th Man. And the legend of the 12th Man was that football was was that the team needed somebody and right off of the, you know, out of the stands, jump somebody in. They put on a uniform and they're in the game, baby. So, Ben Wilcox, uh, the 12th my- Man of EdTech SR, ladies and gentlemen. My- my my role is to get you to buy more things, and and I think that's that's all I'm good for, really. But I appreciate that. All right. So, Jason, speaking of things that work, have you transitioned to your iPad? Is that what you are are now connected with? But I'm on. However, um, what's interesting about that is that I when I plug in my headphones, the the audio stops working. So I. I <laughs> You have you have had um, this is a security state moment, and I think members of some unknown agency uh, have listened to the show and have infiltrated all of your Internet of Things items have been hacked. They'll be part of the next. What was it called? Mirai botnet attack. And uh, we'll anyway, that is that is pretty weird. OK, well, uh I, I actually, I'm, I'll, I'll take that as a segue uh, to. Uh, I didn't put that many articles in, but um, I did put an article that was about security and it, and it links to travel. And we may need to get a travel story from you tonight, Jason, because I was, yeah, I was using your story from a couple weeks ago, talking about the, you know, the benefits of an unlocked phone traveling. I was talking with one of our 11th graders who's about to go to France on an exchange visit. Got to do a little interview with her and her teacher and uh she knew that you know she wanted an international plan but i said you want to put a sim card you know in an unlocked phone the article i want to uh, point out is um <laughs> titled i'll well i guess it was okay i gotta get the title of it this is nice i should go ahead and link to the article before the the quote that i pulled out of the article was um I'll never bring my phone on an international flight again. Neither should you. Okay, well, that is the title of it. Uh, this is Quincy Larson's February 14th Valentine's Day article um, that he published on Medium. And wow, uh, we talked a number of episodes ago about this this article that, that was said, if, if you're not paranoid, you're crazy, that really got you thinking about how much surveillance is going on. And uh, this has stories of folks who had to give up their password to their phone to get through U.S. Customs. And and if this is right, he says that Customs is this limbo land where it is not the United States and you do not have full rights. And so his recommendation is you either take a phone that does not have any of your stuff on it and you, you fly with that or you do a full wipe of your iPhone and then do a restore when you're overseas and then before you go past your Customs because – what he says more and more countries are going to be doing is sucking all the data off. And then that becomes part of the database that, you know, that authorities have about us. And that may not be a problem. We, you know, we've talked before about, I don't have, feel like I'm, 
doing anything wrong, have anything to hide. But gosh, some of the stuff, uh, we won't get too far afield probably with this, but the stuff going on with immigration right now is crazy. And, you know, thinking about having every single thing that you've ever put into your phone, you know, as part of the database that the NSA have should perhaps give, give us pause. So any thoughts about that, Jason? Yes, as a matter of fact, and and one of the things that I keep thinking about that, um, um, you know, like what, who knows what they're going to key off on when they are searching through a whole phone, right? Like as an example of this, so maybe I have some MP3s on my phone, and maybe, um, and you know, my collection is large and old now, and it goes back to the '90s, and Maybe some of those MP3s are from dubious sources. Um, it's a large enough collection now that that, it, that some of them probably uh, were um, from dubious sources. And you know, so is that is that an offense that keeps me out of the United States from coming in? What if I have a pirate television show? What if I have a pirate movie? What if I, um, you know, uh, are they going to get in my email? Um, the there was the thing about the NASA engineer that, that came back in the United States that didn't let them unlock his phone because he thought it would be illegal for him to do so because there was proprietary information on there. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in a similar situation. In fact, all three of us are. There's student information on my phone. It's well locked up. It's under password. Um, I keep my phone locked for that reason because I, I have work emails on my phone. But I think that that, um, you know, it's obviously not NASA proprietary information, but you know, don't mess with FERPA because it's hardcore, right? And, and I think that's a, a you know, a, a message here that we have to come to some recognition here about, you know, what is appropriate, what is not. Um, it is great advice, I think, to wipe your phone before you leave the country, download whatever you have on the cloud, once you get to the, the target country, wipe it and do it again. But what a pain in the butt. Like, you know, here we are relying on these phones. I mean, mine's a travel companion, right? My boarding passes are on this phone. My Airbnb unlock codes are on this phone. Um, you know, my, well, everything's on, on, on my phone, right? And so if we have to nuke them every time we cross an, uh, uh, an international border, that, that seems like they're less than useful. And, you know, we're in a trend in 2017 where we are making more uh, hardcore and, and onerous than we, we were before, right? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a dangerous trend, and I, I don't like that, that you know, they can't take reading out of my backpack, but they can take my device. Like, they just there's something bizarre uh, uh, that we have going right now with regards to the different devices. Ben, any thoughts? Um. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the the article and um, a lot of these definitely are edge cases. Um, you know, I I don't have an expectation that I'm going to be asked to unlock my phone uh, if I'm coming back into the country, but I don't do that a lot either, right? Like, I'm not doing a lot of international travel, um, so I don't have a lot of experience doing that. My experience experience has not been that, but I do think that we're in in a, a different uh, arena. One thing that I, I keep on thinking about, though, is just how little is actually on my phone based upon how much of it is in the in cloud services. So I regularly wipe all of my photos off the phone. I don't keep any music on my phone because it's all stored in the cloud. Um, like all of my, like I said, my photos, my files, like those are all in cloud services that 
I mean, even if you were to do a data dump of my phone, you would not get access to, right? Because I don't keep any of those things locally, um, except sort of temporarily. And so the only things I think that I would be really worried about would be contact information. Um, I don't even keep my local email. Uh, like I don't use the local mail app. I'm only using cloud mail uh, applications for the majority of the, the things that I'm doing. And so because of that, I do feel slightly more secure, but that's not like a great thing, right? Like you should have an expectation of privacy. Um, when you're when you're coming to and from but i do think that uh sort of short of doing the full wipe just thinking about what is actually on the phone other than just your apps right which like those are binary files that you could get from apple or from the play store and like there's no actual actual data in there and so just thinking about like, there's a reason why we move to cloud services is because at least in theory, they are more secure than being on a single device that is easily hackable. And so when I'm thinking about like, all right, I use these services for a reason. I use two-factor authentication for a reason. And like all of my two-factor authentication is based upon like a timestamp for when you are logging into that service. And I can revoke access whenever I want to, to all of my services that are using that login like we're doing these things correctly it is sort of worrying about those folks who are maybe not going that route um and are not thinking about like any device as a cloud-based device um so anyway like if you think about your phone as like this is just the vehicle to get access to the things rather than like this is the storage device for all of my stuff that's a very googly googly perspective right (laughs) Well, I mean, it's Google, it's, I mean, if you're storing things in iCloud that are, I mean, that stuff is like encrypted up the wazoo. Like, I I am interested in how we look at these things as empty vessels in some way. Like, I every time I get a new device, I start over from scratch. I am not doing any restore from a previous version because mm. none of that stuff really matters. And you're getting a cleaner, you're getting a cleaner OS. I mean, that that's actually the ideal because right. if you've got corruption and you keep restoring, then you're, you know, perpetually keeping whatever. Just moving that forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm like, even though like those travel situations are edge cases, I am also an edge case in, in that, like, I don't think the majority of people are doing it that way. But that is something that I consider a lot in the way in which I I feel more comfortable about, like, handing my phone to somebody or handing my device to somebody because you don't have access to this stuff. Yeah. Like, even in my Google Drive and things like that, I have those password protected from inside of the app. Like, that's... Yeah. You know, it's it just is... it, It makes it easier for me to feel more comfortable in those spaces. Okay, well, here's a few different connections. Number one, I'll try to drop this article link in. There were, uh, I think, two or three people in Iran that were arrested and perhaps put in prison this last week for using the app Signal, which is a encrypted messaging app. And I think they created a channel about Kurdistan or the Kurds or something like that, something the Iranian government did not like. So depending upon where you travel and what happens, you know, certain keywords, you know, can can set off and be be triggers. Um, 
that that governments. It's sort of like I, I've been told, you know, if you want to travel to to uh, Saudi Arabia and to other Arab countries, having a passport stamp from Israel is is a bad thing. Some people would actually travel with two passports not to not to do that. Well, think about that on your phone. You know, if you, for instance, you know, have have friends and and acquaintances and people. It, you know, it, it, there's just a whole range of issues. Item number two, uh, my friend Bob Sprankle passed away this last year, uh, a year ago, actually, in December. And huh, I had really never deleted text messages on my phone. And in the course of wanting to piece together a lot of communication that I had with him uh, in the closing months of his life, I got this app that connected to my phone. I was able to suck off anything that I wanted, like all the text messages. And there were like 35 pages of single space text messages that went back to like 2009 or 2010. So in one sense, that was a really awesome digital archive of our relationship and communication and all of these things that we'd had. On the other, it kind of freaked me out because I, you know, my phone actually finally was getting slow and I realized, okay, I need to switch this setting. And, and then it, it ended up deleting, you know, messages that were uh, of, a, of a certain age. But it was um, a bit of a, of a jarring moment to realize all of that information was there. Point number three, uh, with the Note to Self podcast, which I think the three of us listen to and have done shout outs for, they've, they've done that great episode on privacy, the privacy paradox. And one of the biggest points I took from that is, you know, we all need to be defenders of privacy. If we're defenders of free speech, and this has a very good educational slant, right? Because we're, uh, should be about citizenship and about not only the rights, but the responsibilities that go with citizenship. And that means advocating for citizenship, you know, Almost every substantial change in the law uh, was illegal at some point. Like, think about slavery, think about women's suffrage, uh, think about the civil rights movement. And so we really do need to be advocates for privacy. And it's not, it is absolutely not the case that we can say, oh, I'm, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not, you know, advocating for violent overthrow. Therefore, nothing, you know, it, it could, it, it's okay for the government to have every communication that I have. And here's the fourth point, and I haven't told this story publicly, and I, I think you'll be okay with me sharing it. I don't think this, who knows if this audio will be transcribed, but it, it should be okay. Uh, David Jakes, a, a friend, I know Peggy, I don't know if is listening to this live tonight. She may catch it later, but uh, we were telling stories about traveling to Canada, and I had some challenges with Canadian customs um, at one point. I'm not going to tell that story, but David's story was he was challenged about social media. And they said, what is this Jake's nation? Are you a nation builder, Mr. Jake's? And literally they pulled him out on the side and it wasn't like, you know, he was strip searched or something, but, but he was challenged because they had searched his social media profile and I don't think he still has it. He's done some really awesome rebranding and, and so he's, um, you know, I don't know about the Jake's Nation stuff, but they they picked up on that, you know, and it had nothing to do with nation building, but they were so focused on homeland security and interpreting it out of context. Um, and we don't have this article in there either. And I, this is my last point before I pass back to Jason. But, you know, there's been discussion about whether or not the customs officials will ask and, and even force people to turn over the the identity of their social media credentials. 
and the degree to which that's going to go with us. You know, that note to self podcast, I think it pointed out that our phone number is probably as important as our social security number today in terms of being an identifier. So there are a whole lot of connections here. And definitely from a school standpoint, you know, advocating for privacy and helping you know, students, teachers, everybody see the connection between free speech and privacy, I think is is really important. And it's just pretty eye opening to see what's happening globally as well as on our borders when it comes to this stuff. So you want to comment more on that, Jason, or you want to take us out of the rabbit hole of uh, surveillance into something else? Uh, let, let's move on um, to a well, there's, there's a lot of great articles this week, actually. Um the one of them that I, that I thought was really interesting was um, uh, there's a Recode article from today. Most U.S. workplaces still use old school tech like emails and phone calls to communicate. Great article. I recommend reading it um, uh, for those who listening to the podcast. Uh, it, it kind of details things. The reason why I think this is entertaining is because um, I, 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 one of the reasons why older technology persists, and I have a hard time calling email older technology, but you know, uh, older technology exists is because they're effective mediums for work, right? And these articles, I think, start giving people. Well, I, this article is a, is a little more tongue in cheek than than I think that than than a, 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 a you know, serious look at at this. But you know, a lot of times we tend to dismiss traditional technologies because. Uh, you know, this generation and that generation has rejected them, right? I mean, a good example of this is that, you know, we worked for a decade to make sure that every kid had an email address in school, and now it's possible with cloud-based computing and Google Apps for Education and officers that provide for schools. It's easy to, you know, roll out email addresses that are well-protected and well-locked down and yada, yada, yada. And here we are in 2017, and kids hate using email, right? It's not a medium that they prefer to. But um, for at least older millennials that are working into a workplace, Nobody is going to accept your your Facebook message in a professional context. No one's going to accept your Snapchat in a professional context. Context still matters in regards to these pieces. And I thought it was easy uh, to pick on uh, the fact that workplaces are slow to move that. But I'll be very frank that email is a savior technology in, in my day-to-day life because it allows me to time shift conversations um, that I don't have time to have asynchronously via a chat messaging system um, enables me to, you know, be very productive during a daytime. I like to think, and, and I have some internal evidence of this, and I'm extremely responsive to email, but I need to be able to say that not everything requires my immediate attention so that I can, you know, kind of uh, prioritize things throughout a day. Um, but I thought this article was interesting because it does contain a bit of hand wringing about you know, technology is moving on and, and or at least uh, people are moving on and yet business still holds on to these, you know, dated, terrible technologies like email. So I guess I'd start with, maybe Ben, I'll start with you. Uh, uh, how, how is email going up or down for you in volume? It's uh, a good, really good question. Um, email fluctuates pretty extensively uh, back and forth between high volume and low volume. Uh, but I your love-hate relationship with email. I totally agree in the productivity side of things, but I once wrote a, and uh, for ISTE um, that uh, ultimately was not selected and I fully recognize why it was not selected, um, but it was essentially, oh, 
Um, we need to stop our uh, addiction uh, to email and uh, sort of the stand-in for email as productivity. Um, where like by answering email, you feel productive even though you haven't actually done anything for kids or for, you know, for, for teachers. Um, sometimes that is the case, some other times is, it is not. Um, I did an experiment, uh, lat, no, 2015 for uh, Connected Educator Month where I took a month off of email um, and, you know, just had my auto response be, that uh, you can find me on Twitter, you can, you know, put things in this Google Doc, but I'm not responding to email this month. And that went over okay for some people, uh, <laughs> but for, for others, it was definitely, you know, something that uh, that they struggled with. And so I've really looked for alternatives, and so I'm very interested in that. Uh, but until there is that same level of, um, uh, of commitment to a communication platform. Um, I think in other industries they have adopted, you know, Slack and other things like that. But for education, e email is the, you know, communication platform for many, many folks that they have finally sort of adopted. Um, and so, you know, like you, you can't avoid it in that case, but there is an opportunity, um, you know, to, to do it better. Um, and, and so I look for ways of, of being better about email and setting aside time that I have. Um, but I don't think it is a good stand in for productivity. It, is, it can be productive, but it's not a good stand in for like task management or for productivity itself. So that's, that's my thoughts on that. Good points. And I just say that, you know, common denominators matter and email has become the common denominator. Facebook socially has become a common denominator. Network effects set in. And that's a little less true, I guess, with email since it's an open standard, you know, as it is with, you know, things like Facebook. But uh, it's going to remain relevant. And I'm afraid we're just stuck with it for a while. Um, I hope that we're going to be able to move beyond it in the chat room. Um, you know, Jamie uh, Camp was saying that, She's still, you know, struggling with high volumes and her principal, you know, is as well. I am as a tech director. Um, it's, it's one of these things where I honestly need to just sit down. Well, if I was to more adequately process in a timely way uh, every piece of email, I would need to just be sitting at my desk a lot more or on my phone flipping through them. My wife is constantly on her phone and she's keeping hers cleared, you know, because of her phone. But um, I guess I'd say as educational twist on that we need to be talking about strategies to deal with these things and not assuming that people are just naturally oh you have an email account so you know how to you know manage hundreds of, of emails perhaps per day um there there are apps there are strategies but this stuff is it's important and we shouldn't assume people are just going to naturally and magically you know know what to do and be able to do it in terms of efficiency with with email absolutely Okay, well, we are going to go a little bit beyond the top of the hour since we started, uh, you know, maybe uh, eight or ten minutes late. Um, I'll take us to a article about uh, personal assistance. This was an Apple Insider article, and the title is Apple Unlikely to Develop an Echo-like Standalone Siri Speaker. Uh, this was from Apple Insider on February the 20th. Um, this may not come as a surprise to listeners. I think we've basically talked about why, right? Apple already has a presence in many people's pockets and, and purses. I find myself 
Um, definitely we talk about normal shifting. You know, I talk to my phone every single day a lot. I mean, even driving on my commute now, I am telling Siri to, you know, open apps and, and I, I have to push play, you know, but I'm not having to, uh, of course I would never drive and use the device. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very diligent about that, especially with my young girls watching me drive, you know, to be at a stoplight when I'm going to do something, but I'm talking to my phone and I, I do send text messages verbally. Um, but I also still find myself, you know, frustrated, not on a daily basis, but at least a weekly basis on the capabilities. And I'm still interested because I, my sense is that Google is going to be further ahead than Apple on this just because of volume and everything like that. So Jason, you have any updates on the, uh, the land of, of the Google assistant and any nice parlor tricks to share with us or, or the, the uh, viewers who may want to, you know, impress their, their friends and family. I do not have a new parlor trick to share, partly because I'm waiting for the the tool to evolve a bit, um, that there's rumors of more um, uh, connections to other applications. Actually, I would say, um, uh, hey, Google, add milk to my shopping list. Okay, so what it just did was um, it added to the shopping list, and then Todoist is the app that, that works with the Google Home, and my wife and I share the same lip. So that she just got a notification on her phone that said, nope, it's been added to the list. And that kind of stuff is really sweet. And I do think that voice interaction does matter, and it's it's a big deal. Um, but I think it really has to do with the platform, right? There's no there's no Apple Home platform, right? There's nothing that, that beyond the phone itself, although that's a strategic thing on Apple Heart. Um, the Alexa is well ahead of the Google Home. But that lost you in the Amazon uh, uh, ecosphere. So um, you know, it's hard to know where it's going to go. But I have no doubt that it's going to become the way we interact with devices. Okay. <laughs> Jason, you're, you're edging on a Blair Witch Project moment <laughs> with, the, uh, with, with the cat and the movement. So we're going to, we're going to send you some. Um, so, you know, you have with your mic, I think you just must have something going on with your with your um, connection there, because you definitely had it going with the Yeti mic as far as the quality, you know, like the, the pod cave experience. Any, any I think we've maybe have asked you before, Ben, but are you are you Alexa or are you just strictly Siri or what's your assistant usage right so, now? Um, there's a new app for iOS called Reverb. Uh, that lets you use Alexa on your iPhone that I've been playing around with a whole bunch. Um, and so it connects up. There's there's an Alexa app that I didn't realize um, that's available for iOS, um, but it, it essentially just sort of chronicles all of your asks to a, uh, a an Alexa canister. Um, but since I don't have one of those, I've been sort of waiting to try and see, you know, what's available. And so with Reverb, I was able to um, t- to approximate, uh, you know, a, a, a dot or whatever the, you know, the canister of the moment is called. And um, and so I, I have been enjoying some of the answers that I get there. Um, you know, I use Siri uh, on, on occasion and really enjoy um you know, sort of figuring out what it actually wants me to be asking rather than what I want to be asking. Um, and so I, I do think that 
you know, like you said, there needs to be a lot more advancement before before this this matures. Um, but I want to play in all of the spaces. I, you know, going back to security, I find it incredible that uh, that Alexa uh, the Alexa app chronicles every request I have made. And I can see them in order and I can hide them, but I don't know that they're actually gone once I've like hidden them. And, and so they are like the mining of those requests and things like that. I actually feel super uncomfortable about in the Alexaville. Um, say uh, if there's uh, if there's a wrong way to be doing that, I, I think that they're they're going that route, but I don't think the chickens are going to come home to roost until there is a, a huge group of folks who are actually in that space um, rather than like early adopters and things like that. And so um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in playing, but I was really glad that somebody figured out a way of sort of approximating uh, Alexa on, um, uh, on on iOS because that's sort of my my tool of choice and I realize now that for anyone who is listening to the podcast out loud in their home their stuff is just going crazy and I'm sorry for that <laughs> well I'm glad to know about that I just just downloaded the app and I will check that out and I'm also curious as far as Google you know if there's going to be some other way short of buying a um, oh what's the what's the new phone um, the pixel uh, buying a pixel phone or, you know, the actual Google uh, home appliance. So, well, we're, we're at the top of the hour and um, I don't know, Jason, you got a travel story for us. You've uh, been back from your adventures in, uh, in Europe for a while. Um, any, any tales? Have you had a chance to do a slideshow? Like, are you guys, you and your wife going to, going to do that, you know, go through the pictures and recount the, Oh, your audio's your audio's cut out again. <laughs> like it is, it is just not the night for tech gadgets. Okay, there he's muted. There he's unmuted. Okay, try try now. We're, when it rains, it yeah, pours. we are we are not hearing. Okay, yeah, I think it's time for Jason to go MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar and full on iPad Pro. You know, I think Jason, you can I, use this. I, I as think that's the, the only solution. Clearly, that is the only. It's thing. the only thing you can do. I, can I just? And tell both of your EdTech SR compadres. So I was. <laughs> I was been. earlier on a hangout on air with my MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, and I successfully used Wirecast to share my screen, share my webcam, and share a third camera to pick up the rest of the uh, the room with an external microphone. So four different sources all flown through the Hangout on Air with my MacBook Pro with the touch bar. So I'm just saying, like, you, okay. you, you so know, ben, it works. We, we need to orchestrate some opportunity to, to get together, geek out, and, like, build and make things, you know, because I just don't know many people who could pull that off. That is amazing. 
Well, hopefully Jason is not going to have to revert to sign language for his Geek of the Week. He has put it in the chat, so if we, we must speak for him, we will do that. But why don't we go ahead and go to Geeks of the Week. I'm going to do a shout-out. Uh, Marta is continuing to join us from Tegucigalpa, Honduras. So, ladies and gentlemen, when we say our listeners around the world, Marta, you make it real for us. And we are so excited that you are here, and we're sure that Peggy's going to join us later. Marta had pointed out in the email conversation in the chat that, you know, she, she really doesn't like it, as I'm sure none of us do, when someone sends us an email and expects us to be waiting right there by the computer to reply. And I had that experience quite a few times at Texas Tech when I was doing distance learning support. And some faculty sort of thought email was instant messaging, and we just didn't quite have the expectation set properly for this asynchronous tool, you know, versus, versus a synchronous tool. So... Geek of the week, and then I will. Uh, we'll see if we can pass it to to Jason, and then to Ben. So, I just decided to go old school, but th- I don't. Maybe people don't know about this. If you are a Mac user, Skitch is one of the best apps you could ever use. And this is something I think I learned uh, maybe 10 years ago at an ISTE. I think Mark Wagner. We were sitting in the Bloggers Lounge, one of the early early days of the Bloggers Lounge, and. It's this app that changes my life because every day I'm using Skitch to take screenshots, to, you know, annotate things, draw arrows and things like that. And unfortunately, um, Evernote bought Skitch. And while they didn't kill the Mac version, thankfully, they did kill the iOS version. So if you had downloaded it, I guess, and you have it on your device, I don't know if you can even do a cloud restore. My wife really liked using Skitch with her kids just to, you know, have them do info picks or just to label things and, you know, found it as a, a real helpful app. So anyway, Skitch is wonderful. It is free. It is on Evernote.com slash Skitch. Maybe old news to most of our listeners, but if you're a Mac user, you definitely need to need to check it out. So, Jason, let's give the mic a try. Hello. <laughs> we can hear you. Maybe. Free microphone in my house. Oh, it's it's cutting in and out a little bit though for me. Ah. Man. Um. Oh, okay. Try it. Go for it. I scream. I, I can hear you. <laughs> um, Canva.com is an excellent uh, image editor um, that's meant for like creating social media images. And if you dig around enough, you can find lots of ways it will charge you. But if you're looking to make quick images for a web page, a blog post, um, uh, a poster for advertising something in a school, there's no better templated web-based image editor than Canva. Canva Canva.com, super easy to sign up with a Google account, and I use it almost exclusively now to make images when I'm doing e-learning development and when I'm working on social media for organizations. So Canva.com. Awesome. And then as we pass it to you to talk tab management, I I would love – I think you told me about Tab Suspender, which has changed my life, so I'm very excited to hear about Toby. What do you got for us? So Toby is uh, my new favorite uh, tab management tool. Um, it is also lovely that it is an abbreviation of my middle son's name, uh, Tobias. And so I have a special affinity for it in that regard. But it is the most beautiful tab manager I have ever run across. And I found it because of uh, this new site called extensions.af which you can decide what you want the AF to stand for if you would like. 
Um, but uh, it is a uh, extensions sort of product hunt where daily new extensions are posted and, you know, uh, good ideas are sort of rising to the top. Um, but uh, Toby is incredible um, for sort of creating these uh, these different uh, tab categories where you can, you know, create things that you want for different types of work that you're doing. So if you're really focused on email type work or you're really focused on collaboration type work, you can restore all of those tabs um, for that particular purpose um, and just sort of set up um, these these uh, scenarios, essentially, uh, or you can obviously save all of them and pull them all down into uh, the different areas. So I, I highly recommend it. Um, and then, you know, if you want to check out the extensions.af, uh, I, I do recommend that as well. It's, it's just a lot of fun. And I did check, uh, Sketch for iOS is still available. You, you can still get it. Uh, oh. you, it's, uh, it just hasn't been updated since 2015. And so it is still available on the iTunes store that you can download it. Um, but yeah, for sure, it's it's an end of life product. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to make some really bad decisions uh, in the last two, three years. And I am super worried about them continuing to exist as a company. Yep. All right. Well, I've already seen on your extensions.af the extension BS Detector, which says a browser extension that alerts users to unreliable news sources. So that is uh, is pretty interesting. Um, Well, why don't you tell us where folks can find you, and then we'll pass to Jason, and I'll do that and take us out. Uh, Ben, where where are you on the interwebs? Um, So I am B.H. Wilkoff on Twitter and Learning is Change on my blog. And you can get links to YouTube and other things like that. Um, but thanks for letting me hang out. And... You, yeah, you are the twelfth man, and we appreciate you coming in from the sidelines to, to jump in. Uh, Jason, you are you are still sharing your voice from Montana. Where can people find you? I am available on Twitter at techwteach. Um, I blog at blog org to find out more about my work at the digital digital.org and I should note that in Portland, Oregon, um, early bird registration ends this Friday and as a reminder, um, I'm in summit um, in Portland for Wednesday of NCC week. So www.nccd.org slash attend to find out more about how to join us in Portland. Awesome. I am Wes Fryer, W. Fryer on Twitter, speedofcreativity.org. Tomorrow we'll be sharing another post on our school learning showcase, showcase showcase.cassidy.org. And want to definitely encourage everyone to uh, give us a shout out. Let us know if you're listening to the show. You can send a tweet to uh, Jason and I or to Ben. We'll have Ben's credentials, as we always do, for whoever our guests are uh, in the show notes. And you can access all of that on our website, edtechsr.com. You'll find archived video versions as well as the 32 kilobit audio version, which is probably uh, the one that you're listening to if you're listening to this after the fact. But you can also subscribe to us on YouTube and all of the wonderful links that we have shared tonight are available on edtechsr.com slash links on the Google Doc that we provide there. So until next time, be safe, be savvy, and we'll see you next Wednesday.